Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the key ingredient to nail customer experience, the Air Force strategy to put people first, and one of Congress's cyber leaders prepares his exit. It's Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. A vote will come next week in the Senate on a continuing resolution to fund the federal government for 10 weeks starting October 1st. The end date of the CR would be December 16th. Congressional leaders say negotiations include both parties and both chambers of Congress. You can read more about this and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Leaders from the Defense Department, CISA, and lots of other government agencies are coming to cyber talks this year. It's happening Thursday, October 20th at the Waldorf Astoria in downtown D.C. You can find a link to the agenda and registration in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Department of Veterans Affairs has an employee experience journey map that takes its people from hiring and onboarding through their careers to separation from the agency. The agency did interviews with employees at all levels to build the map. Jonathan Bennett's technical director for digital government solutions at Adobe. He's former chief enterprise architect at the Department of Agriculture, and he's writing about the employee experience on Adobe's blog. Jonathan, welcome. It's great to see you again. Thanks for coming on the program. You write in this piece, I've always said that a good CX, customer experience, starts with a good EX, employee experience, as the two are symbiotic. You have always said that. How are those two things symbiotic? Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you very much, Francis. Appreciate it. It's great to be with you again. Uh, Well, you know, there's a lot of momentum and initiative focused on improving the customer experience over the last, you know, five years or so, and probably even more back to uh, GSA. And, you know, I was fortunate to be at the Department of Agriculture when we were the lighthouse agency focused on uh, modernizing a number of areas, including customer experience. And I think that uh, sometimes it's overlooked that the employee experience is not only symbiotic, but actually is critical to providing a good customer experience. Uh, the bottom line is that when people feel good about the services that they're delivering and helping and they're able to deliver their mission effectively and efficiently, they feel good about getting up every day. For their, they come to work for the mission, you know, not for the money. And uh, and when they feel good about the work that they're doing and they have the modern tools to enable them to do so, they're, uh, they provide a better customer overall customer experience. You write in this blog uh, four ways government agencies have successfully improved digital experiences. And you mentioned the VA's journey map as one of these. Uh, use human-centered design practices to create a roadmap. Where have you seen agents, not just VA, but any others you want to mention, where have you seen them be successful doing this and how are they successful? What makes them successful in creating these roadmaps for their employees? Well, VA is a great example and they have been uh, a shining star, but other organizations, uh, including USDA, including uh, uh, GSA, also uh, state and local initiatives have really um, been focused on looking at what did we do? What do we do well? How do we do it? And then how do we support our employees uh, through every step of the process? So just like uh, people are taking a human-centered design look at, at improving the customer experience, if you understand uh, that human-centered employee experience journey, uh, you can help take targeted action, direct action in areas that matter most to the team members, uh, all to pursue the better service to, you know, to 
um, the constituents and the customers and their families. You write about the breadth of the employees that VA ping to try to get insights. You write part-time workers to executives, healthcare providers and clinical staff, attorneys, program analysts. They really went the full scope. And it strikes me that that is important in understanding where everybody's coming. I mean, you have to talk to everybody to know where everybody's coming from, I guess, is the best way to put it. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, it's critically important to have conversations uh, to understand where what you know where the gaps in the seams are. I mean, if you think about it, uh, we've been talking about this for years, but it's finally happening. People are retiring in record numbers from public service, and um, the talent shortage is also very real uh, across uh, all industries. And government's having a really hard time competing with industry for talent which makes recruiting and retention even more important. So if you understand that um, people have um, skill sets and, and, and need new skill sets that aren't being uh, fulfilled, and you can understand what people are doing, where they're having uh, those gaps or those seams, you can work as an organization to help fulfill that, or just at a basic aspect, understand what technology people need to have to be able to help deliver their mission more effectively and efficiently, and then train people on that. One of the things that people don't often think about is digital transformation is creating a significant need for new skill sets. I mean, we're focused on digital transformation and, 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 and IT modernization, but we're not always thinking about the new skill sets that those are requiring. Think about all the digital services that are being spun up and, and these manual paper-based processes that are being digitized. Well, you know, they all require new skill sets. And, and some of those skill sets are around graphic design. And sometimes an agency might only have one or two graphic designers inside an agency and their work, they're overworked. And, um, you know, those digital content specialists, those roles are desperately needed. Um, there is a lack of tools and technology and also skill sets to help perform those. Um, and, and I'll leave you with one fun fact. NASA has over 2,300 creative professionals um, working uh, with, uh, you know, uh, Adobe Creative Cloud and other um, design tools. And that's really beneficial. And they're lucky to have so many dedicated and talented people. But there are agencies, like I said, that only have one or two dedicated design specialists. And, and they're struggling to keep up with the demand for all the new digitization efforts. Another thing we've been talking about in this community for a long time, Jonathan, is people process technology. And you recommend building uh, employee experience and customer experience around people, process, and technology. What does that look like, Jonathan? Well, if you think about, you know, sure, uh, technology is important, uh, but we all know that technology is sometimes the easiest thing to solve for. Uh, it's building the robust um, processes by which technology can be leveraged. Uh, it is the, um, the 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 understanding of how to uh, utilize most effectively in an organization in order to deliver the outputs the agency is, is looking for and at the end of the day uh, government is a, a, a people run business and so investing in those people with the skill sets with training with um, making people feel valued at the bottom of, at the end of the day um, if people don't feel valued uh, for the work that they do uh, and they're, and they're getting up every day to support the mission. Um, it, 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 you're, you're looking, it, it doesn't end up working out well, right? Other people say, you know, Hey, I can go somewhere. I feel more valued. I have a better, um, opportunity to learn new skill sets, uh, or to actually deliver my mission or, or what I'm doing more effectively and efficiently. 
You touched, I think, on the principles of another one of your recommendations very well regarding leveraging technology to improve workforce productivity. So I want to go to the last of these four that you write about in this blog post, Jonathan, and that's considering the voice of the customer. I note that you use the word consider and not follow. Um, how does one integrate the voice of the customer into not just CX, but EX uh, plans? And how does one know what the customer needs that maybe the customer doesn't even know the customer needs? That's kind of what I take away from that word consider. And it's fine if you tell me I'm thinking about it way too hard, my friend. No problem. I mean, it, at the end of the day, you know, the most important thing we're doing is figuring out who we're serving, why we're serving them, and what do they need. And building our, 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 our delivery and our programs and the, the customer experience um, improvements around what does the customer need, not as uh, designing things around how does the agency do this today or want to do it in the future. And so the focus, you know, one example I, I pointed out in my blog was the National Institutes of Health. They wanted to improve their employee experience and customer experience. And they focused on a recognition development and, and, and engagement. Um, toolkits for managers, developing you know, leadership programs, advisory work groups, uh, and then reviewing technology platforms, see how employees could better engage with the coworkers. And so it, that desire for connection, especially as we uh, are, are, are now in a new uh, working environment for many of us and this hybrid environment, and it's more even more important to stay connected. I'd also say, you know, leveraging technology to improve that workforce productivity. There's a recent uh, Forrester Total Impact uh, Economic Impact Report that uh, surveyed state, local, federal customers on cost savings and benefits um, across using leverage technology. And it's incredible to see, you know, that the benefits that people um, are able to quantify um, in government by by focusing on the right technologies and tools and, and, and the impact to their overall um, mission delivery and customer experience efforts. Is there a correct order, Jonathan? Does one focus on EX before CX or vice versa, or should they be integrated on parallel tracks, or is that too much science to apply to something that's more artistic? That's a really good question. I think that uh, I've seen the pendulum swing. I mean, the federal employee viewpoint survey has been around for a while. And there was, um, I remember in, in USDA uh, back in probably 2018, there was a lot of focus on employee engagement and the employee experience. Um, and then we've shifted kind of towards this focus on, hey, improving the customer experience. But um, I think that there's a lot of momentum, a lot of good energy, and a lot of good progress being made in the CX realm right now, and legislation that's supporting it, including the, the executive order on CX, the 21st Century Integrated Digital Experience Act, uh, and A11. But I think that if we can spend a little more time focusing on the people power and focusing on the people that make the the, the, the government work well every day, and 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 really combining that with those constituents and customers that they serve, uh, I think there's a nice balanced approach that can be found. Jonathan Bennett, great to talk to you. Terrific writing. And thanks very much for coming on to talk about it. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you very much, Francis. You can find a link to Jonathan's piece in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. 
I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. Voting's open now for the 2022 edition of the Fed Scoop 50. You can vote for your choices till September 30th, and we announce the winners November 3rd. You can find a link to see the finalists and place your votes in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The mission of the Air Force District in Washington, A-1, is to, quote, provide manpower, personnel, and services oversight and support to the national capital region and worldwide. Jason Howe is Chief Information Officer of the Air Force District of Washington, A-1. At Defense Talks last week, he describes his personal mission to moderator Viral Chauda of KPMG. As we look at how do you know if you're digital, right? A digital Air Force, a digital A-1, uh, you kind of set some markers out there. And one of the key ones, it's, uh, it's about people. So for us, as you think about, am I a digital Air Force or a digital A1, uh, it is, am I effective at managing digital relations, right? Not just sending emails, I'm not talking about hopping on a VTC, but am I using social constructs to create and grow people that are very comfortable in that digital world. I think those entering the Air Force today are probably much more comfortable than folks as old as me and others. And I think we have to see ourselves grow in that space. But along with the people, you gotta have the applications, high quality digital applications. And again, right in our legacy constructs, it's about data entry. Right? Very basic systems where you can go enter something and hopefully get something back in return. Right? And we need to modernize our infrastructure to really get at those highly integrated, effective decision-making applications. I think those digital natives are looking for those integrated solutions. And then last, to be able to afford your modernization, you have to be comfortable leveraging commercial services. That can include cloud, but it's not just cloud, right? It's the concept that we're very comfortable in our digital world going out and buying a business capability and leveraging what industry does. And I don't know that we're comfortable quite yet. So if you look at like electronic testing, that's not core to Air Force A1, and industry does a pretty good job at electronic testing. So are we comfortable reaching out and leveraging those broad commercial services? I think that's one of the gauges that will tell you when you're a digital Air Force. Great, so to, in order to execute on this vision, what are some of the steps you're taking? What is your strategy? Yeah, so I, I think, again, it starts with people. Um, for us, We've invested and just hired in a chief experience officer in A1, kind of following the, the path that SAFCN set with our Air Force chief experience officer, trying to make sure that what we're building is what airmen and guardians really want and need to meet their mission requirements, right? So from the A1 portfolio, they have a lot of needs. Are we effective at capturing those needs? Well, I, I think we're getting better. Uh, we're growing, and a good design can really empower people. But we have seen here recently 
that an unintuitive design can be just the opposite. So I think it's an imperative for us that we continue to invest in knowing that we're using human-centered design or user-centered design to build the right thing. And then what we build it on are now enterprise digital platforms. Looking back, right, everything was a system. If somebody had a need, it turned into an IT system. And that ballooned our portfolios. So our A1 portfolio ballooned to 110 major systems over time. And so to counter that, we're really going after uh, top-notch, enterprise-grade, commercial cloud, enterprise digital platforms that give us the ability to consolidate our portfolio and enable our workforce more effectively, right? By leveraging that big, broad platform, you're able to integrate all those data, the data and applications effectively because it's one enterprise-grade platform. We invest a lot here recently in CRM, customer relationship management. And I think for us, we take out the C because not everybody's a customer, and we put in airmen and guardians. But it's very much about, am I maintaining the relationship throughout their career so that they understand and know how to navigate a military career, a civilian career, and we're tying in veterans and retirees, family members, recruits that are interested in signing up so that we're managing all those relationships effectively. And then the last piece to have these big systems, you have to manage your data well. So we've invested a lot in managing our data, in focusing on data quality. You know, one of the big challenges I've seen to go to commercial cloud, to software as a service. Step number one, load good quality data. And that's where we stop, because we don't have good quality data. And I see many, many people in the DOD afraid to go to software as a service cloud. I think it's because of step number one, right? They don't trust their data to a point where they're willing to trust the outcomes based on that data. And I heard the discussion on AI earlier. I think it's that same challenge, right? If you don't trust your data, you're never going to trust the decisions that are based on that data. And so we're investing a lot in making sure we're effectively managing our data to be able to get to that digital transformation strategy. Great. So Jason, I mean, uh, you highlight, touched on that at the beginning, but you know, the people aspect is one of the most important aspects. So what are you doing to, to hire and retain your top you know, workforce as well as train them? Yeah, transformation's hard. <laughs> and it's hard on our folks, right? They weren't ready when we said, hey, we're gonna digitally transform, right? One, we didn't really define it well early on, so we had to figure that out. But then we had to bring them on this journey to an end state that we kind of don't know yet, right? We're still growing and maturing through our modernization process. Uh, and so it's been definitely a challenge, but I think our folks are, they're smart, effective, and they love a challenge. So it's really how can we excite them to grow, to be in that future state with us in the interim, I'll just tell you, we rely a lot on uh, contractor support, right? 
we can't not transform because our staff's not ready. So we've been bringing in uh, strategically contractor support to start building out these modern processes, the modern technology, uh, to be able to demonstrate for our workforce how we think they should operate in the future. The Air Force's Jason Howe at Defense Talks. You can find a link to the videos for all of the Defense Talks sessions in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Congressman Jim Langevin will leave Congress at the end of his term. He's co-chair of the Congressional Cyber Caucus and chair of the House Armed Services Committee's Cyber Innovative Technologies and Information Systems Subcommittee. At Defense Talks last week, he gives Defense Scoop's Mark Pomerlo some background on Congress's cyber journey and his role in it. When I first started uh, in Congress, uh, uh, the word cyber wasn't even mentioned uh, anywhere in the National Defense Authorization Act, so it wasn't even really part of the national conversation at that point. And then fast forward all these years later, uh, now uh, U.S. Cyber Command has been stood up. Uh, it's its fourth year as a unified combatant command, and uh, for the second year in a row now, uh, cyber has its own chapter in the NDAA. So we have uh, a significant number of provisions that have made its way through uh, Congress, uh, become law that have helped uh, to, uh, to strengthen uh, our national security, is have uh, strengthened the uh, ability of our warfighters to execute missions. And we will never, I've said many times, we'll never again see modern warfare again without some type of a, type of a cyber component uh, to it. And that goes both on the, uh, the intel uh, side to, uh, you know, uh, give a situation awareness, preparation of the battle space, if you will, uh, but then executing missions, and that's that's happening on a day-to-day -day basis right now. Give great credit to John uh, uh, Nakasone and his team at U.S. Cyber Command and uh, the, the Cyber National Mission Force uh, that are uh, executing missions uh, effectively, and we are better off for their their service. Sure, uh, as a still a, a growing organization, you know what what has it been like to to observe the the, the growth and maturation of U.S. Cyber Command from a, a congressional oversight perspective? Um, obviously, there's a lot of give and take there, and, and you work very closely with them. But maybe explain a little bit what it's been like to see them grow and and, and help to mature, uh, you know, their organization, their capabilities, and their authorities. It's been it's been really uh, incredibly rewarding knowing that you know we're at the forefront uh, of. Uh, uh, bringing this new capability, relatively new capability, so to speak, uh, and see how it's matured. And uh, you know, obviously, still more work to be done. We need uh, still more people uh, going into the, the, the cyber field, and that's through you know that's true through uh, throughout government, not only the military but throughout government and society. We have uh, still so, so many cybersecurity jobs that are still open. So growing the cyber workforce is going to be a, a, an ongoing challenge and uh, issue of import, uh, not just for the military, but for government uh, in, in general. But uh, seeing uh, Cyber Command be stood up, see their, mature, their capabilities uh, uh, mature, and then uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the policies that govern our operations in cyberspace are critically important. Uh, NSBM 13 that was developed under uh, the previous administration, which has basically stayed intact under the current uh, administration. And it's a basically looking at uh, and guiding our, our efforts to defend forward, which is, uh, which is important. Defending forward or defending early, if you will, 
will be part of our, uh, our national strategy going forward, better protecting our, our country in cyberspace. And, and by the way, you know, working with our partners and allies ahead of time and uh, hunt forward operations that uh, we're involved with, I believe that that has helped us significantly uh, to be prepared for or push back uh, against Russia uh, in the war in Ukraine. It's in large part, I think, a significant reason why we haven't seen more effective cyber operations on the part of Russia, both in, in Ukraine and, uh, and or maybe any blowback that we might have experienced here in the United States. We're not out of the woods yet, so I don't want to say I'm not uh, overconfident on that. But I think that, you know, that, uh, that, that early work that we've done with parts and allies uh, to uh, kind of uh, identify where the Russians were uh, in, in, in networks and, and then be prepared for what they might do uh, has helped better protect us and our partners and allies. Yeah, obviously one of the, the, the big um, uh, refrains here is that cybersecurity is a team sport. It, it sounds like you're, you're are, are pretty satisfied with these hunt forward operations so far. Obviously it was kind of an interesting paradigm shift and um, a, a way for, for the Department of Defense to use its, its unique authorities outside of the U.S. borders to, to help provide that early warning. It sounds like you're um, satisfied to date with that, but obviously there might be a little bit more work to be done. Is that, is that fair? That's, that's a fair way to assess it, sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, go, going back to something you said as well on, on the congressional front, you know, 2018 was was kind of a watershed moment. You mentioned um, NSPM 13, but there were a lot of uh, provisions within the NDAA that that helped to um, uh, piggyback on that and help to, to bolster cyber commands uh, authorities. Can you maybe talk about some of the work that went into that and and maturing how cyber command um, um, conducts its operations and, and matured it as a as an organization? Sure, and you know, again, uh, working with with partners and allies is where uh, I think where our strength really lies as well. Uh, this is a team sport, and uh, as we've gotten better at at, at uh, cyber defensive operations or hunt forward missions, uh, and, and helping our, our partners partners and allies mature their own capabilities, uh, I think has gone a, a long way. I'm also want to say I'm, I'm excited about what the State Department is doing. Uh, setting up its own uh, digital policy uh, bureau at, at State Department with an ambassador rank position uh, and again a whole department that is going to be engaged with partners and allies on the international front uh, uh, that was absent under the previous administration when uh, they basically their, their Chris Painter's position, their, the, the, the uh, ambassador rank position there was eliminated. Uh, now we're back on the international stage and that will go a long way toward helping on the um, uh, uh, on the, the international policy making front, nature hates the vacuum, and our partners, our, 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 I'm sorry, our adversaries were all, t all too willing to, to fill those voids. Uh, so that will and is changing. We're, we're back on the international scene working with our partners and allies. Mm -hmm. and, and just the, the limited time that we have left, I'd, I'd be curious to hear what, what you think uh, work lies ahead um, kind of in the broader technology space. You know, we're obviously, um, some folks have said we're in a race with, with our, our competitors in the areas of hypersonics, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity. Um, as, as you d depart uh, Congress, what work do you think needs to be done to help keep uh, the Department of Defense in the United States ahead of some of these challenges and adversaries? Sure. We're at an inflection point, there's, there's, there's no doubt. Um, you know, one thing I want to point out, and I'll go back to some of the cyber front, uh, the, the, the Navy uh, is, is adding a uh, the cyber, operation, cyber uh, uh, warfare operations 
uh, category. Uh, used to be using their cryptologic people to do as an add-on the cyber. That's going to change. But um, getting to more specifically the, the other technology issues and areas that we have to address, uh, the hypersonics, um, uh, AI, um, uh, quantum, uh, all of these things will be uh, critically important as they're very maturing, coming into their own. Um, we've seen what Russia is doing uh, using hypersonic missiles uh, in the war in, in, in Ukraine and how effective they have been, and uh, obviously China uh, demonstrating what we believe is a uh, nuclear-capable uh, hypersonic uh, missile. So we are still maturing our, our, our hypersonic capabilities. We're behind the curve, uh, sad to say, but catching up. Part of that is infrastructure related to our investments. And uh, you know, we're, we, we, have, um, we were doing this work with 50-year-old wind tunnels, for example. You can't do that if you want to rapidly uh, mature hypersonic uh, uh, capabilities. That's changing. We're making uh, big investments right now in our uh, infrastructure, in our labs. It's a, about a $5.7 billion deficit in our investment in the lab's uh, infrastructure. Uh, that doesn't bode well for attracting the brightest minds and talent. That's another thing we have to be mindful of. If we want to retain that talent, you know, they've, uh, we've, we have to provide better facilities and support for the work that they do, and that's changing. I've added um, uh, what we believe is uh, millions of dollars uh, to our, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in this version of the NDAA for our lab infrastructure, so that will improve that. Uh, AI um, is it changing things, things significantly with, with more and more data that we have to analyze. AI is helping us to analyze that data so we get the very best information for decision making to our to our policymakers or, or our, our, our uh, combatant commanders in the field and and uh, and their subordinates, so that they're making the very best decisions on on what capabilities to uh, to employ. And then on on quantum, we need to double down and continue to further invest in in quantum. It's my old friend uh, General Keith Alexander used to say, "Whoever develops quantum first is going to own the keys to the kingdom." Uh, it's going to rapidly change, uh, the, 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 totally change the, the face of national security in, a, in countless ways. We have to be first. And I believe we can get there, but it takes sustained investment and oversight to, uh, to do that. Congressman Jim Langevin with Defense Group's Mark Pomerlow. You can find a link to the videos for all the Defense Talk sessions in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns tomorrow. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.